Good morning. Welcome to church. This is one of the great subjects of all Bible study that you can do. In fact, I've got to tell you that it really is one of my favorite. It's one of the, when I'm studying with people, bringing them to Jesus, and, and what a pleasure and joy that is. This is one of the subjects that I do right at the beginning of the studies, and it's a good one for Australians, because a lot of Australians don't really know too much about the Bible. And this study that we're going to do this morning, over the next 20 minutes or so, is about this book, the Bible. Oh, I hope you get something out of it. I hope it, it touches your heart. And I, and I hope and I pray that you are challenged, challenged to the fact that this book is different than all other holy books of all other religions. So let's bow our heads, ask the great God of this book to be with us and get straight into this subject this morning. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, again seeking a blessing. Help us as we do this study to see that this book that you have given to mankind is very special. It has a message for all of us, and in fact, in its pages we can find how we can live forever. Bless us now through your Holy Spirit, great God, our Saviour Jesus Christ, we pray in your name. Amen. I believe... And I'll make one of these definitive statements right at the beginning of this study, right at the beginning of this teaching. I believe the Bible is the most amazing book ever written. There you go. Definitive statement, full stop. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it even stronger. The Bible is the most amazing book ever written, full stop. Now, you may not realize this, but the word Bible actually means book. That's all it means, book. Do you know that it is actually, and this is, this is the reality, the truth of this great book, it is actually a compilation of 66 books. I wonder how many of you knew that. 39 of these books are in a section called the Old Testament and 27 are in another section called the New Testament. And did you know that it is written, this book is written by, we're not absolutely sure, but it's either 39 or 40 authors. And yes, sorry, ladies, they were all men. There's no evidence that any woman had anything to do with writing one word of this book. Why not? I don't know. It took 1,600 years. That's a long time. 1,600 years to write the Bible. And the total unity of the message of this book is amazing in itself. You know, the Bible, it talks about history. It talks about nations. It talks about the lives of people, of kings, of prophets, of ordinary people, of paupers. It talks about the beginning of the world. It talks about the end of the world. It answers the great questions of life. Yes, it does. This is where you go. If you want to answer the questions, where do I come from? Why am I here and where am I going? They are all in this book. Man runs around desperately trying to answer those questions. All they have to do is open this book. The answer's there. And it is a very, let me tell you, from my own experience, it is a very satisfactory answer. But you know, all these things the Bible talks about, what it talks about more than anything else is Jesus Christ. And in fact, in John chapter 5, verse 39, and if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open to this little passage of scripture, John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, these men who really couldn't stand him, who gave him a hard time right through his entire ministry. 
In John chapter 5, verse 39, he looks the Pharisees in the eyes, these these self-important, hypocritical religious leaders. Oh, I would have loved to have seen this. Jesus looks them in the eye and he says, you know what, you Pharisees? Verse 39, he says, you diligently study the scriptures, the Bible. That's what he's saying. You diligently study the Bible because you think that by them you possess eternal life. And then he hits them almost right between the eyes when he said, but you know something? These are the scriptures that testify of me. And so do you know that from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, the Bible talks about Jesus. Jesus in the Bible, his name is mentioned 1,276 times. Christ, another another name for Jesus is, is mentioned 531 times. And I'm, I'm taking this from the NIV. The Saviour is mentioned 56 times. The word God, Jesus, God, same person, same being, same entity. God is mentioned a whopping 3,930 times in the Bible. Now, before I look any more at Jesus in the Bible, and I want to show you some very interesting things in a minute, I want to show you some prophecies. They're all really short prophecies, but it is the prophecies that really bring home how special this book is. You can go to any other holy book in the entire world. You are not going to find prophecies of the future in them like you'll find in the Bible. Simple prophecies that ordinary men and women like you and I can understand. And I want to just share a couple of these prophecies with you this morning. Then I want to quickly look at Jesus. Why am I sharing these prophecies with you? Well, for no other reason, because I want you to know that this book is special, that it can be relied upon, that it can be trusted, that it can be trusted with the past, it can be trusted with the future. It is God's word and it is for you, for your mind, for your heart and for your life. And so I pray that you will get a little sense of how special this book is in the next couple of minutes. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 13. I'm going to show you just some very quick prophecies. Isaiah is a prophet. He made this prophecy. God came to him in vision. He made this prophecy when the kingdom, the ancient kingdom of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar was at the very height of its power. To make this prophecy would have been synonymous to walking down the main street of New York and making a prophecy about the United States, the great superpower of the world today. But this is the prophecy, this is the vision that God gave Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah chapter 13 verse 19. This is what God said, prophesy this to Israel and Babylon. This is what Isaiah was shown by God. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, The glory of the Babylonians' pride. Remember, Babylon is at its very height when this prophecy is being unfolded to Israel and to the Babylonians. Babylon will be overthrown by God. It will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now look at this. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will rest his flock there. The greatest city in the world at the height of its power... Isaiah the prophet says, because he was shown by God and he writes it down in scripture, he said Babylon will be overthrown like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were totally wiped out by God. But he says something very interesting. He says, not only will they be overthrown, not only will Babylon be overthrown like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it will never be rebuilt again. Now Babylon is in modern day Iraq. If you were to go to the ancient site of this superpower, this ancient superpower city, you will see for yourself 
that to this day, 2007, 2008, 2009, to this day, Babylon has not been rebuilt. Now, down through the centuries, there have been kings, mighty emperors, Saddam Hussein himself, who have tried to rebuild Babylon to recapture the glory of the Chaldean, of the Neo-Babylonian, of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. But they could never do it. In fact, if you would go even to Iraq today, you will see that the local people believe that this site is, is inhabited by demons and spirits and they will not go onto the site. And you can be as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west that till Jesus comes, as the prophecy says, Babylon will never be rebuilt. Amazing. It's in the Bible. It's a prophecy. It's a simple one. You can see it for yourself. You can understand it. And it should give you faith. It should begin to build some trust in this marvelous book. Well, let me show you a couple of others and then we'll go to Jesus. Ezekiel chapter 26. A few, a few books further down the road. Ezekiel, more or less a contemporary of, of, of Isaiah. Ezekiel chapter 26. God gives Ezekiel a vision and is a vision about Tyre. Tyre was a, a, an ancient city which was the banking capital of the world. I'll tell you why. It was a port city. It was at the crossroads of trade for the entire world. It was a wealthy city, but there was a little island just off the, the shoreline of Tyre. Not far, maybe three, four hundred metres, a quarter of a mile. And on this island they had built a great fortress. And in this great fortress, they kept all the gold and all the money and all the wealth of those who brought their wealth to Tyre. That's where they kept it. That's where they banked it. And whenever Tyre was attacked, even if the main walls of Tyre were broken down, the money, the wealth was in this island fortress and it could not be, it could not be gotten to by enemy soldiers. It was the banking. It was the Switzerland of the ancient world. Kings, empires took their wealth and banked it and put it away in this island fortress in the city of Tyre. Tyre was also a very wicked city. Look what God says to Ezekiel the prophet would happen to Tyre. And Ezekiel preached this. He, 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 he gave this message when Tyre was at the very zenith of her power, at the very zenith of her wealth. She was on the mountain and it looked like she would never come down. And this is what God said about Tyre. Therefore... This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you like the sea casting up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down her towers. Look at this. Listen to this very carefully. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Out in the sea she will become a place to spread fishnets. For I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. She will become plunder for the nations. Well... God is here decreeing through the prophet Ezekiel that Tyre would be destroyed. Look at this. I find this fascinating. Not only does God say Tyre will be destroyed, he says this is how it will be destroyed. They will plunder your wealth and loot your merchandise, verse 12. They will break, look at this, they will break down your walls and demolish your fine houses and throw your stones, timber and rubble into the sea. I will put an end to your noisy songs and the music of your harps will be heard no more. Verse 14, I will make you a bare rock 
and you'll become a place to spread fish nets. You will never be rebuilt, for I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. What happened? Very quickly. Alexander the Great, I think perhaps the greatest warrior king in the history of the world. You study history like I have. I think there was no general there was no army leader before or after who was like Alexander the Great. Genius at battle. Man of courage and bravery. He comes up against the city of Tyre. He tells them, he says them, and I'm simplifying the story. Surrender, and I will not break down your walls. I will not sack your city. I will leave your leaders in control, but you will pay tribute to me. And they said, we will not surrender. You will never take us out here in Tyre. So what does Alexander the Great do? He breaks down the walls. He ransacks the city of Tyre. But then he sees the island fortress with all the wealth and he says, that's what I want. And he tells them to surrender. Never, never has this fortress been taken. Never will we surrender. Never will you get the gold and the wealth inside it. Alexander says, Galleys up against the walls of this island fortress. They pour boiling oil. They throw pitch. They throw flames down into the boats. They burn. Men die. Alexander realizes he can't take this fortress easily. You know what he does? He goes out into the countryside and he takes thousands and, and hundreds of thousands of slaves. He breaks down every stone house in Tyre, every stone house in all the villages round about, and he builds, would you believe it, a ramp out to the fortress. He then rolls his siege engines and the remnants of that ramp are still there today. Out on this ramp, they bash down the walls of this fortress and for the first time in history, it is taken. Look, verse 12, they will plunder your wealth and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and demolish your fine houses and throw your stones and timber and rubble into the sea. God knows the future. The Bible can be trusted because it has as its author. Yes, there are 39, 40 men who authored it, but the real author of Scripture is the great God of heaven who knows the past from the future. And, and, and we see example after example after example in the Bible of this. I could take you to Ezekiel 29, verse 14, 15. We haven't got time. Another prophecy of Egypt at the zenith of her power. God said, Egypt... You will be broken. And that's exactly what happened. The Babylonians broke Egypt. And he says, not only will you break, but you will never be a great kingdom. In fact, God says, you'll always be a lowly kingdom until this day. Egypt is not one of the powerhouses of the Middle East, just like God said it would be. I can take you to Isaiah 44, verse 28. Amazing prophecy of a king called Cyrus who was the king of the Persians. Isaiah lived 150 years before Cyrus existed. And Isaiah chapter 44, let's go there very quickly. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. 150 years before Cyrus existed, look what God says. Verse 28. God says to Cyrus, You are my shepherd, and you will accomplish all that I please. Amazing. God naming Cyrus as the man who would actually free Israel from their Babylonian captivity. The Bible can be trusted. It knows the past from the future. I, I wish we had more time to unlock these prophecies. I could take you to Revelation 11:18. Look at that when you get home. Revelation 
chapter 11, verse 18, where there's a prophecy about the end of time, the time we live in. Oh, we're all worried about global warming, aren't we? We're all worried the world is going to come to an end. We're going to environmentally commit suicide. Not, 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 not will not happen. Bible says in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, that God will come and destroy those who would destroy the earth. Isn't that amazing? Written 2,000 years ago, long before global warming, long before pollution as we know it today, long before the world was, was faced with environmental catastrophe, God says, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy those who would destroy the earth. To destroy the earth when that was written was unheard of. It's not unheard of today. Now I want to finish over the next few minutes talking about Jesus in the Bible. And I want to tell you some amazing facts. And I haven't got time to unpack this in intimate detail. I want to challenge you who are here in the church to write this down with a pen on a piece of paper. Those of you who are at home, rush out. Go to the kitchen, wherever you keep your paper. Get a pen and write these texts down quickly and check later to make sure that what I'm telling you is the truth. There are more prophecies about Jesus and Messiah in the Bible and about how he would live and about who he was, where he would be born, what he would do in his life, how he would die. There are more prophecies about Jesus in the Bible written in the Old Testament, proven to be written long before Jesus existed. There are more prophecies about Jesus than any other thing in all of Scripture. Watch me, stay with me, because I'm going to rattle these out. The Bible says Jesus was to be born a human. Prophecy, Genesis 3.15. The Bible says Jesus' mother would be, a, would be a virgin. Prophecy, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Bible says he would be called the son, would be the son of God. Prophecy, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says he would be a descendant of Abraham. Prophecy, Genesis 22.18. The Bible said that he would be a descendant of Isaac, of David, Genesis 21, 12, Genesis, Jeremiah 23, 1. I told you we'd rattle through these pretty quickly. The Bible said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, verse 2. Can you believe it? Prophecy. The Bible said he would be a prophet, Deuteronomy 18, 18. Prophecy, truth, came to be. Amazing. The Bible said he would be a priest, Psalm 110, 4. The Bible said he would be a king, Psalm 2, verse 6. The Bible said he would be preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist, prophecy, truth, Isaiah 40, verse 3. The Bible said that Jesus, the Messiah, the God of the, of the heavens and of the earth, the Bible said that when he came to earth, he would be rejected by his own people, the Jews. Fact, prophecy, Isaiah 53, verse 3. The Bible said he would be crucified, prophecy, Psalm 22, verse 1. The Bible said that when he was crucified, he'd be, he'd be pierced in the side and blood and water would come out. Zechariah 12, verse 10. Prophecy. It just goes on and on and on. And if you take the time to study it, if you can't take the time to read it, you can't help but, but be convicted as I am. Deeply, deeply convicted that Jesus is a God, that Jesus is a man of prophecy. The Bible predicted who Jesus was. The Bible predicted when Jesus would come. The Bible predicted when Jesus would be born. The Bible predicted how Jesus would be, live his life. The Bible predicted how he would die. Do you know that someone, I want to, I want to finish on this really. The chances of someone fulfilling the Bible prophecies of Jesus, listen to this, are one in 100 million million thousand. That is one with 17 zeros after it. In order to help us comprehend this staggering probability, 
Stoner, who's a, a, a scholar in this area, illustrates it by supposing that we take 10 to the 17th, that's, that's a number that I just read, 100 million million thousand. He, he says we take 10 to the 17th silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas, one of the biggest states in the United States of America. They will cover the state two feet deep. He says then, now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all, all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up that one silver dollar and say that it is the right one. What chances would we have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have, have of writing these prophecies and having them all come true in one man. Stoner considers that the prophecies... He says the prophecies and the chance of them coming true in one man are one in ten, one hundred and fifty sevens. It's worth noting that the estimated numbers of the electrons in the universe is around ten to the seventy ninth power. One in ten to the hundred and fifty seventh power chance. That's that's one in with a one after it and then 157 zeros. That's the probability of all these prophecies coming through in one man. That's from a mathematician. The fact is, Jesus was no accident. And the Bible that predicts him is the written word of God. And today, this morning, you can poke your head in the sand and you can refuse to see this or you can open your mind, test what I'm saying for yourself, and be convicted of the power of God in this book, of the authorship of God to this book, and of the Jesus who is the Messiah, the Christ of this book. It will convict you, it will change your life, and it's all to be found here. May God bless you. Lord, help us to appreciate the Bible, to see the miracle of what it is that you've written in it, to be convicted by it and to be saved by the Jesus of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.